Peter 1, 16 through 21. <clears throat> These are the words of the living God. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for gathering us this morning to worship You, to serve You, to be instructed by You. I pray, God, that You would help us to do just that today, that You would help me to get out of the way, that You would free us from distractions, and that You would give us grace to listen and be attentive to Your Word as it speaks to our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, uh, today is Reformation Sunday, and we celebrate uh, this day, uh, the day on which Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to uh, the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany, sparking the Reformation. Now, throughout the Reformation, there were many issues uh, that were dealt with. Uh, but the core issue of the Reformation is one that we are going to talk about today, and that is the issue of sola scriptura, or the doctrine of Scripture alone. And this principle of Scripture alone teaches us that the Bible is the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the life of the church. You see, when Martin Luther nailed that 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, he was looking to get into a debate with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Martin Luther realized that many of the things that the Catholic Church was teaching were unbiblical. Through his study of the original languages, he came to the uh, conclusion that we are saved by faith alone and not any of these other things that the Catholic Church was teaching like penance and selling of indulgences and confession and all these other things that you needed to do in order to be saved. And so the formal cause of the Reformation, sort of the issue that was on the surface uh, that sparked it was this doctrine of um, uh, justification by faith alone. Are men justified in the sight of God by faith alone. But the material cause of the Reformation, sort of the root issue, the issue that was underlying everything else, was this question about whether the Scripture alone was sufficient to tell us everything that we needed to know about faith and life, and whether it was the ultimate authority over our lives. Was the Scripture sufficient to answer every question that we had about faith and life? And friends, that question is just important to us today as it was for them then. The Scriptures continue to be the place where we must settle all of our 
debates. And in our passage today, Peter unpacks this doctrine of Scripture alone, I think, in a most beautiful way. And so we are going to see two points in our sermon today. We'll see first that the Old and New Testaments are the ultimate authority when it comes to determining matters of faith and life. So the Old Testament is the ultimate authority when determining matters of faith and life. And then secondly, and this point flows from the first, they are authoritative because the words that we find men speaking within them are the very words of God. So two things today, and then we are going to make some applications, and we'll look at some of those implications of that doctrine for our lives. So that first point, the Old and New Testaments are the ultimate authority when it comes to determining matters of faith and life are found in verses 16 through 19. So let's read that again. Verse 16, we say, for we, we see, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter starts out his argument by saying that the prophecies that he and the other apostles have been making about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ are not based on myths or, or silly wives' tales or anything like this, but rather they are based on the eyewitness accounts that he and the other apostles had witnessed, the things that they themselves had saw and heard. And specifically in this instance, Peter refers his readers back to an experience that he had with the other apostles, James and John. And the event that Peter is referring to actually moves us forward in our study of the Gospels that we, are, we have been doing. Uh, last week we saw that Jesus invested his church with power and authority. Well, after that, he proves that he is able to invest his church with power and authority to his disciples by showing them that he is the very source of that power and authority. And some of you may know the experience that Peter is talking about here in his letter. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John along with him up on the mountain to pray, right? This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they go there, apparently the disciples fall asleep. And when they wake back up, they see Jesus standing there with Moses and Elijah, two men who had passed on long ago. And Jesus looks different, okay? His face is shining bright like the sun. His clothes are white, as bright as lightning. And uh, they're just kind of dumbfounded at this, right? Like, what's going on here? Well, what they're seeing is a glimpse of the glory the inner glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, they are getting to look at the divinity of Jesus Christ. They are seeing a bit of it uh, on this occasion. And then they hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to, them, listen to him. And then the scene just kind of changes and everything disappears and Jesus is the one that is left standing there and they are like, okay, 
He must be the one. So that is the event Peter is referring to here in his letter. And Peter goes on to say uh, that that is the the eyewitness of account that bears truth to the things that he has been telling them. That witness that he and the other apostles have been giving about what they saw bears witness to the truth of the things that they have been saying. Peter goes on to say after that that we have another witness that bears witness to the truth of Jesus Christ that they have been preaching and teaching, and that is the Old Testament itself. If you look at the passage, he says, the prophetic word is more fully confirmed. The prophetic word is more fully confirmed in verse 19. That is, we have something that we all accept as a reliable source, the written word of God. All of Peter's readers accepted uh, the Old Testament to be infallible and authoritative. He says, go there and look. It is going to tell you the same things that we have been saying. It too confirms everything that we've said. So Peter is ultimately pointing to two sources to back up the things that he has been saying, the, namely the witness of the apostles and himself, the apostles' teaching, which at that point in time was being written down and would later on become the New Testament, and the Old Testament itself. So two sources, the witness of the apostles, the apostles' teaching, and the Old Testament. So in the end, Peter is placing in our hands a source as a source of authority, in, a, in essence, the Old and New Testaments. The Old and New Testaments. And he says, we would do well to pay attention to it. We would do well to pay attention to it. That is the Old Testament. In this instance, the New Testament has not been inscripturated yet. They are preaching, and they are teaching, and things are beginning to be written down. But you have the Old Testament, and he says, it has... Uh, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, that is, we should hold to the Scriptures. We should look to them as a source of revelation and as a source of truth until the very end. So he is giving us the Scriptures as a way to know the will of God for our lives, as a way to know the truth until the very end, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says we would do well to pay attention to it. And as I said, we should look to the Scriptures. We should hold to the Scriptures. That should be our source. That should be the place that we go to get answers to these questions with respect to matters of life and faith. So we've seen that the Old and New Testaments for Peter are the ultimate authority when it comes to determining matters of life and faith. That's number one. Number two, they are authoritative because the words that we find men speaking within them are the very words of God. And we see that in verses 20 through 21. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy has, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here he gives us some things that we need to know about Scripture. He says, of first importance, that is, firstly, this is the preeminent thing that you need to know. Scripture does not come about as a result of one's own interpretation. That is, men do not make this stuff up. When men are writing, they are writing down the very words of God. 
Men are not looking at an event that they have seen or experienced and then writing it down on paper and then it becomes Scripture. No. When men write, they may recount the events that they have seen or they may be writing down things that others have told them, but when they write, God superintends the process in such a way by His Spirit that when when they are finished, the things that they have written down on paper are the very things that God wanted there in the first place. When he speaks of it coming about, he is speaking of the origin of Scripture, the source of Scripture. He says it doesn't come about as a result of one's own interpretation. And as we read this morning in 2 Timothy, Paul tells us very much the same thing. He says that the Scriptures are divinely inspired, or they are God-breathed. The Greek is theonoustos, God-breathed these words out. It's as if God breathed them out on the paper. So when we look at the words of Scripture, it is the very words of God. It is as if they came from the very mouth of God to us on the paper in front of us. Um, God grants, uh, granted God uses men to write the Holy Scriptures, but the things that they write down come from God. Uh, The reason that man has formulated the thoughts in his mind the way that he has is because God helped him to put them together. So the interpretation is God's. That is what he means when he says it is not a private interpretation. He did not come up with it on his own. He got it from God. And we know this is the case because he goes on to say in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. You hear that? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. First of all, how many, how many prophecies are included in Peter's statement, no prophecy? Well, all of them, right? There's, there are none missing. If no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, then all of them were produced by the will of God. And this means every passage of Scripture that you find in your Bibles comes from God. But people say it was written by men. And we don't dispute that fact. The the question is not, did men write the Bible? The question is, did they write it according to their own wills? Was the Bible written according to the will of man? And Peter says, never. Okay? In the Old Testament, all the prophets who spoke their own will and not the will of God, were condemned by God. Prophets who sort of shared their own heart, as it were, and not the heart of God, were not truly prophets. True prophets share only the heart of God. We can say at this point, well then, Peter, how was it produced? And his answer, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is the agent who is responsible for the writing of Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who is behind the writing of the Old and New Testaments. Now, does this mean that man does not play any part, once again, in the writing of Holy Scripture? No, this does not negate man's part. Okay, If we were to ask the question, who wrote the Scriptures, God or man? Is it God 
who writes the scriptures or is it man? Did God write the scriptures or did man write? The answer to the question is yes. Yes, God wrote the scriptures and man wrote the scriptures. Christians do not have any problem saying that man wrote the scriptures because we do not believe that the Bible fell out of heaven one day gold with gold and scripturated writing or something like this into our laps. And that is why we have it in the pews today. Nor do we believe that when God inspired men to write that he sort of took over their minds and they went into a mindless trance and started writing the scriptures out and he removes all of their intellect, all of their experience, all of their knowledge, all of their background so that they're sort of just blind dictators. No, we do not believe that is what divine inspiration teaches. That's not a biblical doctrine of divine inspiration. That is a pagan doctrine of divine inspiration. When we say God inspired men to write the Scriptures, we mean that when they wrote, the things that they wrote originated in God, but they were written by men. That's important. Okay, That's an important piece to get. The things that men wrote originated in God, written by men. Okay, Peter says, men spoke from God. Do you see that? Who is the one doing the speaking? The man. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says it was the men who spoke and by extension wrote the Holy Scriptures. Okay, So when they did their speaking and when they did their writing, they were the ones who did the speaking and the writing. But when they spoke, where did the speaking come from? Peter says, from God. Therefore, they didn't come up with this material on their own. It came from God. The, the content of what they are saying originates in God, right? So men spoke from God. They are active in it, okay? And then he goes on to say, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, okay? Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The same word uh, is used for carried along in the book of Acts to describe what happens to the ship that Paul was on whenever they were bringing him in Rome, uh, bringing him to Rome bound in chains. The ship gets caught in a storm and they can no longer control it. And so it says that the ship was driven along by the wind. And it is the same thing here. When men write, they are the vessel, right? They are the instrument, but it is God the Holy Spirit who is driving them when they write. He is the one that's driving them along. They are still the vessel. They do not cease to be the vessel, but it is God who drives them, okay? So that is what we mean by divine inspiration. All right, so in summary, what has Peter taught us in this passage? The two things that we've mentioned. The Old and New Testaments are the ultimate authority when it comes to determining matters of faith and life. He points us to the Old Testament and to the prophecies and teaching that they're doing, which would later on become the New Testament. And number two, they are authoritative because the words that we find men speaking within them are the very words of God. And you say, so what, pastor? What what does all of that have to do with my life today? How does that affect me right now? How does this doctrine of Scripture alone have an effect on me today? What implications does it have for my life today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, the... The first one, and I, and I think it's just painfully obvious, 
If the scriptures alone are sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know for faith and life, then we do not need to look to any other place to answer these questions. Right? If the scriptures alone are sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know with respect to matters of life and faith, then we do not need to look to any other place to answer any of these questions. Everything we need to know is right here in one book. So we don't go looking to the uh, scientist to find out about the world around us, and we don't go looking to the anthropologist to tell us about man or the philosophers to tell us about life or the self-help gurus of the day to tell us about ourselves. Every question that we could ever possibly need answered with respect to life and faith is found right here in the pages of Holy Scripture. And they are trustworthy. They are reliable. Why? Because they come from God. If God inspired these writings, if these are words from God, then we can trust them because He is trustworthy. Somebody says, well, the Bible doesn't tell us how to tie our shoes or it doesn't tell us how to uh, engage in nuclear warfare or anything like this. They didn't even have Bibles back then. Uh, or or they, they didn't even have nuclear bombs back then whenever they were writing the Bible. And you're right. If we were to go into our Bibles and look in the index and look up the words um, nuclear bombs or shoelaces, we would not find those words there. But in the Bible, we will find principles that can guide us when we are trying to figure out how we should go about tying shoes and dropping bombs. When we say that the Scriptures are sufficient, when we say that the Scripture alone is the doctrine that we hold to, we are saying that the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about life and faith. That is, it tells us about everything that we need to know with respect to how we are to live in the world and how we are to live in relationship with our neighbors and how we are to live in relationship with God. Yes, the Bible does not speak explicitly to every single issue in the world, but it does give us principles and guidelines on how we answer those questions and how to navigate those situations whenever they come up. So for instance, we could take the golden rule. Do unto others as you would do to yourself, right? Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. We can take that principle and extrapolate from it to learn how we should go about engaging in warfare. And this principle applies across the board. There are guidelines. There are truths in the Scriptures. Principles that we can go and extrapolate from to learn how we are to make decisions in this life whenever they come up. Now, there may be some things that the Bible does not explicitly speak to at all. It's just silent on these issues. And in those matters, the Bible teaches that we have been given Christian liberty. We can decide what we will in those matters whenever those instances come up. But again, we are still to be guided by the principles in Scripture when we are making these decisions. So that's first. The Bible tells us everything that we need to know with respect to matters of life and faith, and therefore we do not need to go and look in any other place. What are some other things that we can learn from this doctrine? Well, how about the fact that it frees us from being brought into bondage by man-made rules and man-made traditions? Now, rules and traditions uh, in and of themselves are not bad, um, but the problem is 
whenever we start making up our own rules and traditions apart from Scripture. The doctrine of Scripture alone teaches us that if it isn't biblical, we do not have to accept it. If it isn't biblical, we do not have to accept it. So, for instance, if somebody tells us that we cannot eat certain foods because it is immoral, we do not have to accept it. Or if somebody were to tell us that if we did not, um, that it was hateful to not affirm certain practices or that it was unloving to not um, affirm others, we do not have to accept it. The Bible defines the world and everything in it. Definitions are huge in the day in which we are living, and Scripture alone teaches us that we don't have to accept other people's definitions of things. Um, For instance, if um, the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about the world and life, and it defines it. The Bible defines the world and everything in it. So the Bible tells us what marriage is. It tells us what a man is. It tells us what a woman is. It tells us what murder is. It tells us what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's moral and what's immoral. So we do not have to accept redefinitions. God created the world, and therefore He gets to define it. So we go according to the definitions that God gives us in His Word. Moreover, if we want to settle a matter, if we want to settle a matter, this doctrine teaches us that we know where we are to go and settle it. We don't have to wonder whether uh, this practice or this tradition or this uh, ritual is right. All we have to do is go and look in the pages of Scripture, and it will answer those questions for us. And so this doctrine frees us from vain speculation. It frees us from entering into uh, pointless controversies about things. And it frees us from engaging in practices and behaviors that would otherwise bring us into bondage. We can know if this thing is not biblical, I don't have to do it. That thing's not biblical, I don't need to worry about it. I don't have to participate in it. I'm not bound by it. So the doctrine of Scripture alone gives us this freedom. Another thing that this doctrine frees us from is the idea that we need to be looking for some sort of new revelation from God. The doctrine of Scripture alone says that God has spoken and that He has spoken in the pages of Holy Scripture. He has told us everything that we need to know right here in the pages of Scripture. And therefore, we do not need to go looking for God to speak to us in some other way. Uh, Many times people will come up with New revelations, new words from God, new ideas that, they, that you've never heard before. They'll say things like, God was speaking to my heart and I heard him tell me to do this or I heard him to tell me to do that. And we need to be careful with those assertions. How do we know if God is speaking to us through an experience that we are having in our lives? Well, again, we have to take everything that we see and experience and hear and stick it up underneath the light of Holy Scripture to see if it lines up. Because once again, Scripture is sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know today. It is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was first given. The Word is alive and active, right? Uh, The Word is a standard to which we can appeal. 
It is an unchanging, sure word from heaven that we can bank on. It's been settled in the heavens. It is a firm foundation upon which we can build our lives because we know it's not changing, that it's not going to pass away. It's consistent. It's coherent. It's stable. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So we don't need any new revelations. Somebody says, yeah, well, if you believe Scripture alone, then what about all these creeds and confessions? I mean, we quoted the Westminster Confession of Faith in our service today. What about that? Well, what you need to understand, friends, about creeds and confessions is that they are helpful, but they are not final. Creeds and confessions are helpful, but they are not final. When somebody asks you what you believe about God, the moment that you open your mouth and begin to speak, you are giving them a creed. Uh, It is inevitable, unless you just quote the Bible verbatim. So anytime we get into the business of interpreting Scripture, we are entering into the realm of creeds and confessions. And in our church, we have what is known as a constitution. These are documents uh, that are binding and that are authoritative uh, over our lives here in this church. They are documents that tell us how to operate. They guide us in our practices and in our definitions. And in our Constitution, we have three documents, the Book of Church Order, Westminster Confession of Faith, and the Word of God. So you see, when we say Scripture alone, we're not saying that there are no other authorities in the world, but what we are saying is that those authorities uh, derive their authority from the very Word of God. They are established by Scripture. In our Constitution, there is a a chain of command, a hierarchy, an order of importance, as it were, right? So the book of church order tells us things about how we are to operate in our meetings and how we are to conduct our worship and how we're to go about exercising discipline. And the Westminster Confession of Faith gives us a standard on how we are to uh, go about determining what is doctrine. But both of these doctrines are subordinate to the Word of God. You see that? Both of those documents are subordinate to the Word of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith itself says that, that um, um, synods or councils do err. Right? That is, the men who gathered together to, um, to put these documents on, uh, onto paper are fallible and they make mistakes. And so, if we find something in our book of church order or in the Westminster Confession of Faith that is out of line with Scripture, then to hell with it. If it is not biblical, then it can have no authority over our lives. Again, the Word of God must have the final say. So you see, even here, Scripture has the ultimate say in everything. It tells us how to regulate the church. It tells us what we are to believe. But again, confessions are helpful. For instance, If a Jehovah's Witness was to come to your door today whenever you get home, the Jehovah's Witness is going to bring his Bible with him and he's going to tell you, I believe the Bible. You're going to say, man, that's great. I believe the Bible too. The question or the place where we run into conflict with our Jehovah's Witness friends is when we start asking them what they believe about the Bible. The question is not, do you believe the Bible? The question is, what do you believe the Bible teaches? And that is where creeds and confessions come in. Creeds and confessions are what we would say 
are good summaries of what we have believed for the years. It's a place that we can point to say, hey, this is what we believe about this, and this is what we believe about that, and this is what the church has done for thousands of years. So, creeds and confessions are helpful, but at the end of the day, the Word of God must have the final say. Okay? Word of God must have the final say. So in closing, we've seen that the doctrine of Scripture alone matters. It matters. The question about whether the Scripture is the final authority over our lives is crucial. Do we have an ultimate standard? Okay? Do we have an ultimate standard that we can appeal to to settle every matter or dispute that may come up in life and in faith? Do we have an infallible guide, a source of truth to give us light as we navigate through this dark and dying world? Do we have revelation from God that speaks authoritatively over our lives? Do we have words of God given to us from heaven that we must obey? The answer, friends, to all of those questions is yes. We have in our Bibles words written down by men, but inspired by God. And therefore, friends, we have in our hands words from God. And if you are a Christian today, it is your duty, it is your responsibility to pay attention, to take heed to the things that God has said here in His Word because He has spoken. He has spoken right here in the pages of Holy Scripture, so we do well to pay attention. So take up and read, and read and be blessed.